Hello, B4 Church. I'm Mark Nicholas, and I have the privilege of leading local and global missions here at Beaverton Foursquare Church. And over the past several weeks, we've been talking about some of the things that we've been able to do through B4 Advent, which is only possible because of what you guys have been able to give. And I, I, I loved hearing about the things that we've done. For instance, I don't, there's 2,400 children that have been identified in the Beaverton School District who are homeless. And so we're investing in the Beaverton Resource Center right here on our campus to serve those families. Or to hear about Rwanda and the church that could have closed, that was close to being forced to be closed, and now it's thriving and doing well because we were able to partner with them. Or to hear about the multiplying of the gifts that we gave. And we were asked by the school district if we could make 120 sandwiches for just a few kids. And within weeks, we were serving 1,400 families in the community. Or just the one that was talked about last week where we were able to put a city water system in a little village through a church we know there in Venezuela, a place that had not, the people hadn't showered in five years and they were so thrilled that we could do that. We've done so many more. I'd love to go on and on about the kinds of things we've been able to do as a church. And it's, it's the B4 Advent offering that makes that possible. So I invite you to join us in prayer as we, the coming year, as we empty the barn, so to say, and make a difference in our city and in our world. And if you'd like to give to B4 Advent, there's still time. You can still do so on our website or app or by writing B4 Advent on your check or on your envelope. We just, uh, we want to give you that opportunity to participate with us. Thank you for welcoming me into your home uh, or wherever you are joining us for this time of worship. Whether you are new to B4 Church, you've been part of our family for decades. Uh, I'm delighted to share the word with you. And I want you to know I really miss our gatherings. A couple of days ago, Brad uh, just wandered down the hall. And a lot of us have been working at home. We don't always work here at the church. And Brad was walking down the hall and he started a little conversation outside my door. And I heard some joking and some laughter and I stepped outside the door and there were some others in their offices and they heard it and they stepped out and we were all in the hall. And for a few minutes, just we had this spontaneous community. There wasn't anybody really talking. I mean, there were like little groups of one-on-one conversation, but just to be in a group together, hanging out with banter, even with masks and, and a little bit of social distancing, for a moment, it was just nice to be around people for no other reason than we could. See, before church has been a, uh, in my, or rather our faith home for the last 30 years, and I, I miss seeing friends who come here every week. I miss normal circumstances of saying hello on a Sunday morning. I miss our gatherings. I miss the worship. So I'm really looking forward to getting back to church on January 7th. And I hope you guys are all willing and, and able to come and join us during those times. Today, I want you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 and verse 18. And we're going to center this message on this verse. And we're going to consider something about the life of Mary. And it's going to be from Luke 2, again, verse 18. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. You know, as we're coming out of the Advent series, Advent always looks forward to the birth of Christ. It prepares for Christmas by immersing us in events that led to the life of Jesus. The month of December is a celebration of all things Christmas. There's trees and songs and decorations and lights and gifts, and it culminates on Christmas Day when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Of course, there's the opening of presents, and and 
my toddler grandkids, they know the story of Jesus because we've told them, but the presents under the tree are still more important to them than the presence of Jesus, something I hope is going to shift as they get older. But when I was a kid, Christmas was celebrated a bit differently in our home. Like today, we'd put up lights and we'd make lists of gifts that we wanted. But Christmas itself was celebrated starting on December 24th, and then it lasted for two weeks. We didn't even decorate the Christmas tree until Christmas Eve. The two weeks following were all Christmas time. There was caroling and food and songs and meals with friends and family. There was pond hockey and snow forts and sledding at the local hill. Over my lifetime, Christmas has shifted much more to before the Christmas day. I, I think it may have something to do with consumerism and the emphasis on purchasing gifts and the stores. But uh, have you ever noticed how in the stores now they take down all the Christmas gifts before the couple days before Christmas? Anyway, it, it, the, the, the thing that happens is it just comes and it's over. We look at the lights and the decorations the day after Christmas and realize that's all got to be taken down. It's got to be put away. Everything goes back in the box. The ornaments, back in the box. The nativity, back in the box. The lights, back in the box. I don't enjoy taking Christmas trees down, the Christmas decorations down. It feels so anticlimactic. It's like we made all this preparation for celebration and then it's over. And we have this sobering reality of winter days and a dark time of the year. There's that big party on New Year's Day, but mostly it kicks into a different gear and it's winter. And isn't that what times with God can be like? They're intense times. They interrupt the normal flow of life. There's fulfillment and closeness and presence, maybe even a change in direction. And life is not the same than nothing. I mean, think about the intense times of prayer that led to significant new directions in your life, to going to that university or getting a job or buying a home or or having a child. We have this tendency to get caught up in the excitement of what is new, but not the same excitement about settling in for the long haul afterwards. You go to the university, Praise God. But now you have four to five years of hard work and studying and pressure and uncertainty. You got the job. Praise God. But now you're thrust into a new environment that can become unfulfilling and tedious with meetings and deadlines and schedules. Hey, you got the house. Praise God. But you have a loan now. And the heater went out. And the roof leaks and you're putting all your money into repairs. You had a child, praise God. You didn't figure though, the middle of the night crying and the sleepless nights when you anticipated a joyful life with a baby. How do we live in the times between? After God intervenes and he shows up after life is interrupted, but the excitement factor is gone. Mary was on such a journey following the birth of Jesus. And I, I think we can learn a lot as we travel with her. Let's look at the crescendo of events that happened when Jesus was born. And we'll start with Luke and chapter 2, verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. And you, it'll be a sign, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those with whom he is pleased. 
kind of wow. I mean, I can only imagine this scene. I, I spent a lot of time camping in the wilderness in fall and winter in eastern Oregon. There's a place called Chesnimnis, and it's up on the Zumwalt Prairie. It's about a mile high, and in a winter night, about a mile above sea level, you can see the Milky Way blaze a trail of light from horizon to horizon. In fact, on a moonless night, it is so bright that you can see clearly in the starlight. The heavens declare the glory of God. I've laid down on the cold ground and I've, I've just stared in wonder at the immense beauty of it. The author Don Miller used to describe it as stars flung across the deep, dark blue like jazz. It's beautiful, but as beautiful and God-revealing as it is, it cannot compare to what these shepherds saw that night. This is the announcement of a royal birth by an angelic host. It goes on to say, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. They told about what the angels had said. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. And everybody lived happily ever after. No, that's not it. It's an amazing beginning, but there was still life to be lived out. So here we have this incredible story, and it's so personal. In fact, how did Luke even get this story, which is nowhere else in the gospel narratives? Well, tradition has it that Luke got this story directly from Mary. You see, Luke went to Jerusalem with Paul after his missionary journeys, and they were there for a couple of years. In fact, Paul was arrested, and then later when they went back, Luke went with him. So he had two years, and he spent those two years giving attention to writing an orderly account, which you can read about in the first couple of uh, lines of this particular book of Luke. And based on the details of the genealogy and of the personal details, the angel, Gabriel's visit to Mary, the time with Elizabeth, swaddling clothes, these are Mary's details. He said to her at the first time he met with her, when he told her about this, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. And the, the angels then confirmed that same thing through the shepherds. Notice that Gabriel gives her another tidbit. The news of that her cousin, who was too old to conceive, was also having a baby. And the angel said, nothing is impossible with God. So what does Mary do? She takes off to go and see Elizabeth because there's a lot of promise and powerful, miraculous things going on. And of course, we know when she went and saw her that she herself was pregnant. Back to the birth of Jesus. According to what she told Luke, shepherds made known to all about the announcement of the angels. Now, Bethlehem's a small town. I, I can only imagine it must have been buzzing. Scriptures tell us all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And think of what it been, must have been like for Mary. It is a nine-month whirlwind, an angel, a surrender of her life, a promise, a pregnancy, a whole lot of explaining to do. A trusting husband, 
a census, a journey, a birth. And when Jesus is born, angels break out in celebration with the shepherds. They confirm the royal arrival to Mary when they come and see the baby and they tell her of the heavenly host and they say these amazing things and they leave. And Mary has a baby and Joseph and not much else. And it's not shepherds and angels anymore. It's a crying infant at night and feeding and changing diapers and eventually living in exile. She had no family or friends to bear the load with her. It would be reasonable for Mary to ask, what just happened? And maybe what's next? Well, they lived happily ever after and everyone prayed Jesus is king. No, that's not what happened. See, God has this way of intense interruption. He changes our direction. The change is not to leave us in a state of hyper-excitement, but to set us on a course. His purpose in our lives and the paths that we walk. And once he sets us on this course, it's our turn to walk in it. The first thing we find out in this little story is that all who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. And wonder is a great response. By the way, shepherds are not the most reliable witnesses, if you don't know that. They're the Israel's version of cowboys and ranch hands. They lived with sheep, smelled like sheep, uh, stepped into things that sheep left on the hillside. By Hebrew standards, they were ritually unclean. They were ruffians. They were not the most reliable witnesses. In fact, if I had been hearing this fantastic story and I was a local, I would have been a bit skeptical. Maybe they had been smoking some of the meadow mushrooms. I can only wonder about this story. Given scripture, I might understand the significance. I might be able to relate to it, to prophecies about the Messiah. I would wonder about that. In fact, I definitely want to keep an eye on this kid until the trail goes cold. Hey, remember that kid born and the angels and the shepherds and then silence over years, over decades, makes us forget. Cool story. Oh, well, life goes on. Now, I remember that sense of wonder as the story of Jesus unfolded to me in my adult life. I'd known about this story from childhood roots and church, and, but I had never met Jesus. At Christmas, I didn't even wrap my mind around this incredible event. But I was beginning to wonder at one point, and it led me to coming to know him and to believe. So people wondered. And so Mary, now a widow, relates this amazing story to Luke and tells us that she treasured up these things and potted them in her heart. That's how she describes life in the in-between. After all the things said and all the miraculous events and the long stretch of raising a child in obscurity, she treasured and she pondered. Now, the road ahead for Mary was going to be mundane and miraculous and tragic and wonderful. If she had seen it laid out before it happened, uh, I think she would have been overwhelmed. In fact, aren't you glad that there wasn't a preview trailer of your life that you would see before the life you're living? I, I would have found some things I would have liked to cut out of the plan. See, I had a plan for my life, and it was a whole lot easier than the road that I ended up walking on. If God were to listen to me, it would have been very different. There would have been times of struggle, pain, and even family death that I would have taken out of my story. I would have written it out. There were times of trudging monotony that I would have written out of the story. And there were times of betrayal and dismissal that I would have written out of my story. Yet every one of those gave life 
depth and meaning and maybe even a little bit of wisdom. How much more could Mary say so? I want to learn from these two things Mary related to Luke many years after the death and resurrection of her son, that she treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. Just to think about treasuring, Mary treasured. The, the word for treasure really means kept safe. Mary kept safe these things because they were of great value to her. There are memorials of the tangible physical events of her life in tune with God. Her memories included Gabriel visiting her and telling her that she would be one by whom the prophecy would be fulfilled. Her submission, trust, and obedience. Her cousin's baby leaping in a womb. Her husband's belief in her. And a visit by shepherds who told her the glory of God in a royal announcement. It's normal to look back and remember good things. I, I don't mean wanting to relive the glory days if you're trying to relive the glory days. That's just idolatry. I'm talking about reminders of when God intervened and touched us in our lives. In our home, we have a fireplace that we have a couple of bones we don't use. And in it, you'd find a basket of stones. And all of the stones have paint, painting on them. Because when our children were young and their prayers were answered, answers that were tangible and showed us how much God loved us, we would take one of these stones, these large beach stones, and they would draw something on it to say, hey, God answered my prayer. And there's there's a, one of a house and there's another one of a dog and there's a couple others in there that you can see. And we, we could look at those. We could treasure those things because they were reminders. It was important to treasure those things, to have a visible reminder of God's presence in the life of our family because life can be mundane and because we live in a cynical world and because promises are made and fulfilled and now the slow, hard work of life is in motion because the passage of time makes us forget, because sometimes we doubt. But I could point to those stones on that fireplace and say, hey, remember what he did? He hears us. He, he's with us. He lives here. Mary and Joseph were on their own. They were isolated from familiarity, from friends and family in Nazareth. Then they moved to Egypt for fear of Herod, and it could have been, couldn't have been easy. She would need to treasure those things that God had done along the way to remind her of what he did and what he could do. Because after the excitement of that whirlwind year was a time between, and she would raise a child just like every other family in history. So she treasured. We also learned that she pondered these things in her heart. And the Greek word for pondered, it just means to pull together in one's mind, to confer with oneself. But there's a difference between how we might think of pondering and, and Hebrew thought. There's a famous statue by Rodin. It's called The Thinker. And it, he's engaged in this deep meditation about some matter, trying to sort it out and think of the depth and implications of this particular idea and trying to, to think it through. And a lot of us think of ponder like that. But the Hebrew sense of ponder is very different. It, Ron Rollheiser in his book, Sacred Fire, says it this way, to ponder in the Hebrew sense, means to hold, carry, and transform tension so as not to give it back in kind, knowing that whatever energies we do not transform, we will transmit. In other words, to ponder is to recognize tension and to hold it together, to remain in tension while we respond not to it, but to something greater. It's the posture of the saint to endure something hard that they cannot change because that saint, has pro that saint has profound trust in God. Mary needed to ponder. 
because a long, hard road lay ahead and behind, and surprises would come. Because she and, and Jesus' father marveled at what was said about him. Because people would confirm God's promises in Jesus at the temple dedication, and later when the Magi came when he was about two years old. Because they would flee danger and live in a place they didn't expect, thankfully with some means by which they were supplied by the Magi. Because Jesus would surprise them and disappear at the age of 12. Because Jesus was her baby, her child, he was also the son of God. Because there would be naysayers. Because she knew he was her savior. Because she would see his crucifixion. We're told in the Bible that she stood at the cross. She wasn't wailing and crying prostrate on the ground. It said that she stood. And that's the very stance of somebody who is holding the tension. And it's the tension between the power of God and the evil of men directed toward the son she loved. Imagine the tension in raising a baby you knew to be, a baby you knew to be God's son. Mary needed to ponder because she had surrendered her life to something so miraculous. And Mary needed to ponder because there would be no shortage of voices speaking doubt and unbelief into her life. So she pondered. But there's something else. It's, it's unstated. Uh, in the story, and that's the presence. She was in the presence of the living God. Jesus was with her. She moved in the presence of God in the flesh. And think about this for a minute. Something beautiful and life-sustaining in and of itself is the presence of God in Mary's life. See, God chose to reveal himself to the world, to us, through the birth of a helpless baby. God entrusted himself to a young peasant Jewish girl. The treasure of the universe itself. I, I wonder if Mary ever heard Jesus crying at night and then felt guilty because she was too exhausted to get up and she just let him cry. Because that's what life is like with babies. And that's what it was like also in his presence. Ordinary, everyday life. People expect a king to ride into town in power, but our king entered in vulnerable humility. And he grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. And Mary saw it all, and she treasured it, and she pondered it. I want to think about the importance of the presence of God in times like we're in now. This COVID pandemic has been hard on a lot of us. Disconnected from family and friends, we've lost, we've lost family and friends. The people we do see are masked and six feet away. This pandemic has made us look at strangers as faceless, nameless disease factories. And that's just not how we need to look at people. But hey, I made a new friend during COVID. He and I run our dogs in the fields in the early hours of the morning at the same time. And our dogs have become best friends. My dog, Lucy, loves his dog, Willow, and they just can't wait together. And they just charge through the field and, and run like crazy. And, and Brian and I, I, like, I look forward to coming and seeing him too, because we become friends. And... Uh, we would just hang out and talk while the dogs ran. And at some point, Brian found out I was a pastor. And so we started talking a little about, bit about faith. One day he said to me, sometimes I feel really bad around you because I have sinful habits. And I said, well, why does that make you feel bad around me? He said, because you're a pastor and I'm not supposed to, I know I'm supposed to do better. And I said, Brian, why do you say that? And he said, isn't it a bad thing that I have sinful habits? And I said, well, apparently because you feel this way, something's not right, but you know that. This led to a discussion about sin. 
You see, because Brian and I both grew up in church traditions that emphasized the avoidance of sin. We understood that if there was a set of rules and if we didn't obey them, we were sinning. In my own case, I grew up thinking God was mad at me all the time. A lot of people think that. And they, they label themselves bad. I know because I did. Because to me, sinfulness revolved around the rules, do's and don'ts, which left me feeling like I could never measure up. I thought sin was law-breaking. But if sin is law-breaking, then righteousness is law-keeping. So I needed to do the right thing or God would be displeased with me. And I wasn't really good at rule-keeping. Well, now, if the gospel is good news, that just doesn't sound like good news to me because I know I could never measure up. But what if the real nature of sin is what breaks relationship with God and with others? It's hard enough to restore a broken relationship with people, how much more so with God? See, Brian and I began to talk about sinful habits now from the perspective of relationships and what was relationship breaking. And he told me that he had never thought of it this way. And it gave him a totally new perspective and even a way to reconsider what was really sinful. And that's why we had the first Christmas. Sin entered the world long before. People feel shame and guilt and fear all because of that sin. And before Jesus came, most people viewed God from a faulty lens. They saw him as an exacting judge, not a loving father. They couldn't see the humbleness of God, the creator of all things. They would hear the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not steal, or thou shalt not bear false witness. And I think that was how the old movie showed it. Rather than, son, don't steal. Daughter, don't bear false witness. See, God would say, I see you, and I love you, and I know about it. And I'm, I'm okay with talking to you about it. And I'm okay with walking you through it. And I want to be right here. I don't want you to think I'm over there, not able to come to you because you're not holy enough. I want to come to you now right where you are. And I want to meet you in that place because I see you. See, that's the God who's revealed. Jesus entered the world, yes, to judge sin, but more importantly, he came to restore the broken relationship between God and man. Jesus puts the human face on a God who is here to invite us home. By the way, Brian serves with us now on Thursday mornings when we distribute food boxes. When I asked him his permission to share the story, he thanked me for welcoming him, welcoming him into this life at Before Church. You know, we're in the presence of Jesus in a field walking dogs or in a home office or a grocery store around faceless strangers. He is here now wherever you've gathered to hear this message, he is with us. And that's why Jesus came. Later in the book of Luke, there's a time when the Pharisees, uh, they, they asked Jesus about the coming kingdom. And he said to them, the kingdom of God is coming in ways that can not be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And here he was, the king himself, standing in their midst. Look, here it is. Another way of saying, the kingdom of God is within your grasp. Literally, you could reach out and touch it. We are kingdom people. We belong to another reality that is not this broken world. Jesus is the king of heaven. He said this as well. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This illustration of being yoked 
like two oxen. If one oxen is stronger, who's doing the greater lifting? And he invites us to do this because he also is saying, I want to be with you and I will pull the load with you because that's what I do. The miracle of Jesus is his presence. He listens and he's, he's, he's going to make a difference. And so he does. I'm going to invite the worship band up if I could now. And as they come, I'm going to just, just going to say a few things. Maybe you're just wondering, like the shepherds, you're taking in the things said about Jesus and have come to see him, to see what his announcement is all about. And you're here because you want to see this Jesus. So come and see. Or maybe you're experienced, you've experienced a pause after a time of deep interaction with God and you're moving forward, but the excitement factor is just not there. You need something to anchor you, something to remember the times of closeness and interaction, memorials that remind you how you got here. Maybe you feel the passage of time that robs you of the tangible sense of his presence and you just need to hear from him, to hear his voice. Wherever you might be in your journey, will you let these words be a reminder? And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Respond in wonder, treasure the times when he felt closest to you, ponder the reality of his presence even now. The band is going to give you a time of reflection and then I'll return with the benediction.
May you be men and women who live in awe and wonder at the amazing stories of our God, stories of old and stories even today. And may you treasure the times when he's been closest, the times that are reminders to you of his ongoing love and care for you. May you ponder those things as you go through sometimes the life and the time in between where you're walking out the things that he set you on, the course he set you on, and you, you would ponder those things. And may you know the presence of the living God. Amen. Thanks, church. Have a great day. God bless you all.